Listen, um, I'm really excited that you guys are here. I want to thank you. If you are brand new with us, uh, my name is Danny, and I'm one of the pastors here at this church. And this is Tom. He's our executive pastor. And uh, we're going to start off today's service a little different. We uh, are in a series called Canvas. And one of the things that we're doing in Canvas is doing the very best we can to communicate to you guys what we feel needs to be done uh, for our church because of the building downtown that God has given us, this canvas that God has given us to, to steward for his sake. And so um, a few weeks ago, uh, Tom came forward. I introduced him to you guys. He sat in a lot of discussions, and we've been working along with our elders and others to put together a plan that makes sense for us, that doesn't change our culture or change our focus, but really allows us to uh, accomplish what we think is the goals that God has set out before us. So I'm going to ask Tom to share with you guys, if you can give him a hand. And uh, he is going to just let you know what is uh, kind of going on and where we are. You'll see some cards that are passed out right now. And uh, Tom's going to talk to you about those. Thanks, Danny. Good morning, everybody. So uh, I want to take you back to about November. I think it was November 6th. Um, most of you know we started kind of a... a early stage building fund. And uh, we took uh, a good portion of our savings from the church, and then we asked you to give. And uh, as you can see in the bulletin, we've raised about $158,000 so far, um, which has been great because, you know, we didn't know. We didn't know if we were going to have to buy land someday or buy a building or, or whatever back in November. So we just started saving money, right? Who, you know, who would have thought, you know, five months later we'd have a, a building debt-free? So uh, that's just really cool. So We've been using some of those funds for some early, early remodeling there and building maintenance, things like that. And so now we're coming up on some big things like the roof and, and some big items, parking lot, things like that. So uh, that kind of brings us to today. And we're like officially launching our, our, our building program, I think, today. So we just want to give you some, some ways that you can give. Uh, we, what we'd like you to do is take this card home with you this week. And, uh, you know, if you have a spouse or family, sit down with them and pray about it. Just really think what... Really pray about what God wants you to give over the next 6, 12, 18 months, if at all. And uh, come back with it on Sunday and put it in the offering or one of the, uh, the offering boxes. We just That's what we ask you to do and, and just prayerfully consider these options. If there's other options you want to talk about, we're happy to talk to you about it. So uh, The first one is monthly gift. Um, and you can do this in 6, 12, 18-month increments or whatever you want. But just this really helps us to budget some things uh, over the course of the next year, 18 months. And so this is one of our favorites. But so if God lays this on your heart to give a, a monthly amount on top of your normal offerings and tithes, we'd, uh, we'd really appreciate that. So that's the first one. The second one is um, a one-time gift. If God puts upon your heart just to, to write a check or a one-time gift at some point during this time, just let us know uh, so we can kind of plan on that. So that's, that's the second option. Uh, the third option is a gift of an asset, and I think, Danny, you're going to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So when these plans were kind of laid out, uh, this one got on the, on the, uh, on the list, and I, was, I hadn't seen a lot of this done before because I've never really been in a true building campaign like we're really starting today. But the reason that this got on there is because a few months back, uh, we had an anonymous donor in our church donate a car to our church to be sold for the use of the building fund. So the car you saw as you walked in, most of you, if you came in this entrance over here, that car has been donated to the church anonymously to be sold for the use of our building fund. And they're saying it's somewhere around $25,000. And so uh, assets like this 
um, obviously move the project forward and move the kingdom forward. And so uh, I was excited. So I, I, uh, I told Tom, it feels like if God gave us that car, that really what it's for is going back and forth to Dairy Queen and shuttling people. No. And, uh, <laughs> and Tom uh, didn't feel that that was why it's stewardship. And, I, and I, I thought, well, that's really not fun, Tom, but I'm not in charge, I guess, of this project. So, uh, so it will be sold. It will be sold. So, uh, but check it out on your way out. And so things like that uh, are, are a, a huge blessing um, to to the church and to the project and what God's doing. So we thought we would uh, bring it, show you guys, and uh, put it on the list. Yeah, Danny wanted to put Kessid Church in the window and do all kinds of things. We, said, yeah. we, just, we couldn't let him as elders. Yeah, I think we that just, would be for Jesus, that, Kessid so. Church for Jesus. Um, <laughs> but things like that, uh, there's properties, there's things, any kind, any kind of asset that you feel God leads you to, to gift, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. So that's another option. Volunteer labor, of course, if you're uh, skilled in some type of contracting, electrical, things like that, we'd love to hear from you. Um, if that's something you want to give of your time, we, we would definitely welcome that. And then the last thing, which I hope everyone checks this box, is prayer. Um, this is something I think we can all do, and we definitely need to bathe this entire project in prayer. And so we hope you all sign up for that one, too. Um, so, yeah. Anything else? Um, no, a couple things. Uh, I said no, and then I started to speak about a couple I, things. I noticed that. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. just a couple things. Uh, uh, first, I want to I wanna recognize all of the people who have been giving on a regular basis at our church. We've not missed budget in like 18 months here. Uh, we, continue to put, we continue to put money in savings or in the building fund every single month, even if it's just a little bit. And uh, we are not, we, we are not um, in a place where any dollars that you give have to be used for anything other than the stewarding of the building that, that I believe God gave us to steward. We're not using any of it for general, offer, general funds or church functioning or paying rent for Clark. All of those things have been taken care of. But if people decided to start shifting their regular giving to the building fund, then that would change. And so when we talk about this giving, we're talking about new giving, not you just shifting, you know, what you already give to the building fund because then we wouldn't be able to operate as a church and then I really would be driving that car to work. So I, so we, we want to make sure that we are functioning and that we are really praying about how God wants to use this and how God wants to uh, use you for, uh, for uh, the movement of his kingdom. Uh, lastly, I want to thank uh, Pastor Tom. If you guys, he said I can only mention his bio that one time, but it's still on our website at kessadowntown.com. If you guys want to understand who God has brought for us to help lead this uh, and to make sure things are authentic and clean and above board, uh, please go there, check that out, and uh, read up on Tom. Also, if you have questions about the campaign as a whole, talk with Tom. Uh, he's really putting a lot of time into this, and he's already met with quite a few of you, and that's how these plans have come forth. Um, also, our elders fully on board. Uh, you can talk with them as well. But uh, it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing that God has brought the building and the people and just really made it very, um, it's very easy right now. It's not changing our focus. It's not becoming our culture. And we're not going to have a mantra of give money to the building every week. We're going to be about the word and about God and about his kingdom. And we're going to steward the blessings as he brings them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can we give Tom a hand? Okay. So today... In the midst of all that, uh, I, I really was feeling led inside the Canvas series to make sure and bring clarity 
uh, clarity about our church and, and what we're doing in the midst of all these good things that are happening. My hope out of today's talk is to really eliminate distraction or better yet, confusion. Uh, we've been talking about how God has called us to be a part of the kingdom that he is building, this idea of a canvas. But my concern is that you may think, or even worse, that you may think, I mean God thinks, we are supposed to build a physical church building. That we are somehow in the business of building church buildings. That our, our goal is to uh, find a way to, to uh, get as big or as many church buildings as possible. And I'm here to tell you today that's not the case. I'll put this on the screen, therefore it's, uh, it's memorialized for all time. But God has not called us to, a, to build a church of buildings. He has called us to build a church of people. This is what God has called us to do. Now, at first glance, at first glance, this may be the most anti-let's-go-build-a-building campaign ever slogan. Because Tom comes up and I'm up and we're like, hey, consider being a part, consider partnering, consider being together in, the, in this kingdom refurbishing. Of, isn't this amazing? Oh, by the way, God's not about buildings. And that's kind of supposed to be how it is. As a matter of fact, I think that oftentimes when you have Jesus talking about the kingdom, he kind of does that. And I'm feeling led today to also share with you uh, about that. God has not called us to build a church of buildings. He's called us to build a church of people. Allow me to explain. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. There's a simple phrase that Jesus uses to teach what you might think is a simple uh, illustration, but is actually very, very complex. And I want to use it today to help you understand why God is about building churches of people, not buildings. Jesus is walking along and he's calling disciples. And everything about discipleship is relationship. I, I cannot emphasize this enough. When you're reading about Jesus, everything Jesus does is about relationship. He's engaging. He's, he's conflicting. He's confronting. He's forgiving. It's all about relationship. And so at this time, he's walking along with some people, and he's starting to call them to be his disciples. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Now, we know the story of the disciples that did follow him, that, boom, left their boats, that left their tax stands, that left their parents, that went and followed him. But this particular example is a story of a man who decided not to follow him. The verse is quite simple, and it says this in Luke 9, 61 and 62, after Jesus said, will you follow me? Lord, I will follow you, said the man, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to them, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, clarity. First thing you need to know about this verse is he's not saying, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me go home and say goodbye to my parents. He's actually saying, Lord, let me go home and bury my parents. Let me stay with them culturally who live with me that I'm responsible for until they are no longer 15, 20, 25 years, and then I'll be yours. So this is important that you understand this in the verse, because I've heard people preach it like, listen, if God calls you, just get on a plane and go. You don't even have to tell anybody. That's not what's happening here. He's actually saying at this point, because generations live together, let me go until I have no need to stay. Let me go until I have no need to stay. And when I have no need to stay, God, I'll follow you. And the Lord says, no. He says, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. First thing I want you to notice about what Jesus says is this phrase, no one. Notice the universal application of this verse. The word no one is very often used in the Lord's teachings to introduce a general principle that applies to everyone. When he says no one, he's saying 
it applies to everyone. In essence, any disciple of Christ, if he puts his hand to the plow and he looks back, proves that he is not fit for the kingdom of God. Any disciple of Christ, anyone. It's not about a, being a pastor or being full-time ministry. It's not about, uh, about being a successful business person. It's about being a disciple of Christ. And if you are called to be a disciple of Christ and you look back, it says, then you are not fit for the kingdom. So we automatically have to heighten that Jesus is talking to everybody and he's heightening or focusing on two things. He's teaching two things that anyone who is fit for the kingdom of God does. One, he puts his hand to the plow, and two, he doesn't look back. One, he puts his hand to the plow, and two, he doesn't look back. This first phrase, having put his hand to the plow, tells us why we become disciples of Jesus in the first place. Isn't that amazing that, that Jesus encompasses everything about discipleship in just one phrase, put your hand to the plow. If you put your hand to the plow... We skip over it, we read it, and we're like, okay, he's talking to a farming community, and he means if you're, you know, if you're going to accomplish a task, you can't look back and waver. No, that's not what he means. He means if you put your hand to the plow, he means if you commit to the task. He's talking to believers. He's not talking to non-believers. He's not talking to non-plowers. Okay? He's talking to plowers, people who've committed to the task at hand. If you put your hand to the plow, this tells us the why we become a disciple. Being called to be a Christian is to be called to put your hand to the plow. To plow is to work or to toil or to struggle and to move forward at all times. No plows run backwards. Mm. That preaches right there. That's not even in my notes. No plows run backwards. Paul compares the establishment of a church to the planting, again, to the plowing and planting of grains and the watering of the field, 1 Corinthians 3.6. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I wonder where Paul got that. He stole that from Jesus. Real quick, Paul steals everything from Jesus. He's really not that clever. He just steals everything from Jesus and then makes it his own. It's like a modern-day preacher that way, Right? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And people are like, you are brilliant, Paul. Hopefully he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't you remember? And I think he probably did. Don't you remember when Jesus said to the man that wouldn't follow him? Don't you remember what the teaching of Christ was? If you put your hand to the plow, you must always look forward. So what does a plow do? A plow causes the ground or the field to turn over. It causes tension and breaking and 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 difficulty in the ground and it causes the ground to go from what's comfortable and what's easy to what's uncomfortable and what's exposed this ground by the way because what do we do we use the bible always to translate the bible the bible explains the bible so if you're like i wonder what jesus meant by the ground i'm happy to explain that thank you for asking matthew 13 38 the field or the ground is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom the weeds are the sons of the evil one so use matthew to, to translate for Paul or use Paul to translate for Matthew. And suddenly what you have is Paul saying, I planted. What did he plant? He planted good seeds, which are the sons of the kingdom. He told people about the gospel. And he planted in the ground. And what is the ground? Look at Matthew. The ground is the world. And then, of course, we know that the world and the, the, the sons of the gospel make up the kingdom of God and the movement of God. And what does Paul say he does? He says that he planted in that ground. 
We put our hand to the plow and everything is turned upside down in that ground. And the ground is the world. When Jesus refers to you and says, do you want to be a disciple? Come follow me. What he says is, do you want to come and turn your world upside down? Do you want to change what's comfortable for everyone around you and turn it all upside down? And the answer should first and foremost be, no. I just want to walk in my field of weeds. There are some beautiful field of weeds. Beautiful fields. Little flowers and little pretty purple plants and little rabbits running through them. Rabbits don't, don't, they don't, they don't come out in the harvest field with the oxen and the plows and the, the birds get away and the noise and the smell and the dust and the gross and the, and the timing has to be right. It's so much work. But the weeds, man, they're just beautiful. I mean, that's, that's, people run through fields of weeds and sing songs. All the time. Think about it. You never see anybody singing this song in a wheat field very often. It's always a field of weeds. Oh, look at this beautiful field untouched. It's untouched. And God says, great, you want to be a disciple of mine? Get out there, tear it all up. I don't think my neighbors will like that very much. And he says, tear it all up and follow me because there's no sustenance in a field of weeds. There's no bread of life in a field of weeds. There's no grapes producing wine in a field of weeds. There's no life. It's just easy, and the world loves easy, and the world wants to be untouched, and God calls us to be disciples who plow and who follow behind and steward the gift of the field that he's given us. This is why God has given us this church. This is why God has given us the building downtown so that we can steward it. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. But it's what he's asked us to do. This whole concept of turning the world upside down, and just in case you were like, ah, oh, it's a cool tie-in, but I'm not sure it's that biblical. Hey, no problem. Acts 17.6, when it describes the apostles who were coming to change the way the culture was thinking about how to worship God, they're arriving, and the men in charge of their culture and their society and the things they value that were so important and beautiful about the way in which they built for generations after generations, proclaimed over the men who were coming, bringing the hoes and the and the and the oxen and the tools of, 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 of breaking ground said to them, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They immediately prescribe over them exactly what they are. That they're coming to change things. They're coming to, to make a difference. We don't want to make a difference. We like what we have. Keep your, your work over there. Just let it be. This means, according to Jesus, that when you are called to make a disciple, you are called to put your hand to the plow. It means if you're called to put your hand to the plow, you're called to actually plow. Which means when we live the kind of life we are called to live, we will make a mark in this world. We will make a mark in this world every single time we're living the kind of life God calls us to live. Now, for some of you, this should be very encouraging. For others of you, this should probably be very discouraging. For some of you, you've lived in a turmoil you couldn't identify for a long time. Every time you get close to a friend, they start spouting off this belief system that they require you to have in order to be their friend. And eventually you say, I, I, I just can't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't choose that way. Or they want to share secrets with you about the way in which they live in order to really get you to say, oh, I live that way too and make them feel better about their choices. And you don't. And you say, I, I, don't, I don't make those choices. I, I don't operate that way. 
Or you get close into a relationship and you find out that they don't love God. They like the idea of God. Like a bumper sticker on the back of their car. But it hasn't actually broke their heart. And when you share with them about your broken heart, your heart of flesh, your heart that's vulnerable, your heart that's sensitive, when it's compared to their heart of stone, according to scripture, that doesn't feel and doesn't understand, it's this, it's this tearing that happens in the relationship, and you leave once again feeling, what am I doing wrong? Why does my life keep ending up this way? All I want to do is serve God. All I want to do is serve Jesus. And all these relationships just keep ending up in upside-down turmoil. You have no idea that you're planting seeds. You have no idea, allow me to encourage you through the Holy Spirit, that God is using you to plant seeds in people's lives because you don't stand for weeds and normality because you want more and you want sustenance and you want purpose in your relationships and your conversations and you want vulnerability and you want exposure. But some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now because you host this, this life of equality. This life of everybody and everything is truth. And anyone that wants to be in my circle, it doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter what I believe. Let's just all bask in the wind of our uniqueness. And there's zero turmoil in your life when it comes to relationships. And you think it's actually because of the Holy Spirit. When in reality, you just don't turn over soil. And you leave no marks. And you live a lifestyle that is... Uh, less than gospel-centric. And you should be affected right now. Because you are what the Bible calls lukewarm. You aren't anti-God. But you're certainly not for God. See, you're not barren land. You're growing something. It's just weeds. To grow sustenance, to bring life, requires the breaking of bread, the breaking of ground, the breaking of God's, the shedding of his blood. It requires Christ. And Christ requires people to change. Unfortunately, so many Christians go through the world and never leave any mark along the way. And that's why there's so many churches, and, and I'm not naming any specific church, but just so many churches that struggle to make a part of this world uh, fertile for God. See, I've been planning a church now from scratch for almost eight years. And one of the things, if I ever get to teach at a church planning conference, which wouldn't probably happen until I had a physical building, which is kind of sad in and of itself, but just take that for a second, and I'll, hide, I'll highlight that in just a minute. If I ever spoke to people who are planning churches, I would tell them to not listen to one simple compliment slash curse that you'll continue to get as a church planner. And that is, when will you get a building so you can be a real church? Once we were given a building, do you know how many people, friends, told me, isn't that amazing, you can finally be a real church. Do you know what that does to church planners, especially young church planners or church planners who haven't experienced uh, some of the, uh, the, the toiling of the ground that I'm talking about here today? It causes them as their church to be driven toward building for buildings instead of building for people. That's what's so broken about so many church plants. That's why 90%, I think it is, 85 or 90% of churches never make it to five years. I believe in my heart of hearts, and I'm not a prophet, but I am a church planning pastor that the reason most of these churches fail is because they cast visions for buildings and not visions for people. And God did not cast visions for buildings. I'll put it up again. We did not come here 
to build a church of buildings. We came here to build a church of people because that's what Christ did. That's what Christ did. And that's hard and it's difficult and requires leaving marks upon the ground behind us. So why do so many people not leave marks? I believe it's because they continually look back. And I believe that because that's what Jesus said it is. I just stole that from Jesus. I'm like Paul that way now. He says, no one who looks back is fit for the kingdom. This, this term looking back is not a, um, a religious term. And this is important for you to understand because I've seen this used against people a lot. Especially people who fail or mess up or have a, like a season of failure. And they're like, man, you must, you must not be saved. Because, you know, you know the verse where you're supposed to plow and look ahead and you obviously looked back and that's not at all what the verse is saying actually looking back this word in the greek text is a present participle verb which expresses a continuous action in essence jesus is saying if any man puts his hand to the plow and keeps looking back this person is not fit for the kingdom it's not just an occasional glance at the back. He is constantly looking back. This is like, like getting a set of oxen and you get behind it and you have to plow straight lines, right? You have to utilize and steward the land that's been given for the greatest harvest. And you get about 50 feet in and next thing you know, you're just looking all around except for where you're going. You would be immediately pulled off the oxen by anyone in charge of stewarding that field. By the way, God is in charge of stewarding our fields. And if you think you're going to be able to plow behind his guidance, his leadership, his power, his oxen, if you will, and not steward well the field that he's given, if you can just look back and talk to your friends, how's the, how's the weed dance going? Yeah, no, that looks awesome. I love it. Yeah, that's so great. Oh, yeah, hey, hey, Betsy, get over to the, yeah, totally. What time tonight? Seven? Yeah, I'll be there. I love it. I love, yeah, no, I love it. Smash into a tree, kill one of your oxen, right? dies. I mean, you, you, you just, this is, this is the story of so many of us as disciples because we get behind this idea and we love it till we see our friends dancing in nothing amongst nothing for nothing. And we go, man, that looks a lot better than this hot, gross, sweaty, muddy mess behind these beasts that I got to feed and take care of and steward and put away at night and get back out. And look at all these people and these things in my life. I just want to go over there. God says you have to look forward. You have to look forward with intention. You have to put your hand to the plow and you have to make a decision that ahead is the only option for you. If a Christian keeps looking back to the old life, it shows that his heart has not separated from the world. Matthew 6, 21. I hope you're picking up all these verses that tag into this one single statement of Jesus. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Look ahead. Focus ahead. This is why so many of our families explode. Because we stopped looking towards our families for our, our, our uh, calling, our purpose, to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better dad, to see that there is value in living out the kingdom of God. You realize that a family well-led and a family well-loved is just a small microcosm of the kingdom of God? You've got a father and a mother and children and relationship and sacrifice and purpose and love and giving and trial. And it's just a small example of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. How many families do you know of that exploded because somebody stopped looking ahead and instead said, I want that? And then we teach that to our kids and our kids are raised thinking that families don't really matter. Weeds matter. Beautiful, seductive, dangerous do nothing for you, bring no life to your body, can't consume them, weeds. That's how we raise our kids. 
because it's too hot and it's too sweaty and it's too broken and it's too difficult to plow the field that God has given us. We must look ahead. So here's the warning that Jesus is saying. Basic English. He says, if you want to follow me, it is not enough to make a commitment. It is not enough to put the hand to the plow. The commitment must be total. The picture that Jesus is using here is one of total dedication to the task. We must say like Paul. Stinking Paul steals everything. I have laid my hand to the plow. Hmm. And I press forward toward the mark of my high calling in Christ. No matter how tough the going will be, I have no thought of looking back. Thief! Paul, you can't just repeat Jesus and make it your own. But apparently you can. See, Scripture is alive that way. And when you begin to speak it, when you begin to believe it, when you begin to get out in the field, then suddenly you become part of those who went before you, who became part of those who went before you who struggled with what you struggle with, who saw what you see now, who all in the end believed in the words of Jesus, that there is a harvest to be had by those who are willing to work, calloused hands and all. There is a harvest to be had if we will, as they say, burn the ships. Do you know this phrase, burn the ships? I learned it recently and now I'm stuck with it. The phrase burn the ships means uh, to never turn back. It means to never surrender. It means to uh, stand firm at any cost. And it comes from the legend of Alexander the Great when he uh, began to attack the Persians. When Alexander the Great arrived on the shores of Persia, his army was overwhelmingly outnumbered. Yet he gave the orders to his men to burn the boats. As their only means of retreat went up in flames, legend has it that Alexander turned to his men and said, we go home in Persian ships or we die. That is legit. That is straight up, like, that is straight up, like, burn them, because we ain't going that way. Here's what's so profound. Unlike Alexander, Christ didn't come to conquer people groups, but to defeat death so all the groups of people could live. And he was raised up on a cross and said, burn the ships, death is done. If people choose me, they receive life. But if they choose me, they have to burn the ships of their own desires to return back any other way other than through me. If they don't, they will plow crooked lives in crooked fields, not bringing anything to fruition that produces life. And so burn the ships, Kesset. Burn everything you thought you were going to be. Choose instead to follow Jesus Christ, no matter who's standing on this stage, no matter if we're gone tomorrow. Burn the ships of your own brokenness that cause you the ability to escape to a life that you should not be a part of. Because although it is soft and pretty for the time, it will slowly consume you and strangle you like everything does that is not provided by God. This is what we're about. This is what we will die on. This is the canvas that God has given us. This is why this building is so important. Not because we build buildings, but because God has given us a field to plow. A field beyond our wildest imaginations to plow. And if you don't think that I, let me just be clear. I have loads of anticipatory anxiety about this field, about this building. I have loads about presenting money to you guys today. That's why I did it at the beginning. See, I should have done it at the end. It had a soft underscore. had lots of pauses. Well, I shame-based led you to give everything you possibly could. <laughs> That's what I should have done. Do you want children in downtown to have Frosties? Do you want them to have blizzards? Do you want them to know that Jesus... I, I, there's so many other ways to do this. 
<laughs> do you love fries for God? I mean, I just, I could, we could spin this thing. We could spin this thing sweet, raise a lot of money. But it would be weed money. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Which is the new... <laughs> Did you sign that? Yeah, did you sign that? It would be weed money. That is unbelievable. <laughs> oh my gosh. Which is the name of our new building campaign, Weed Money. <laughs> I was going to say weed money versus like harvest money. Like it, it, it yeah, that was. That is awesome. I have, I, I have, I've had a lot of anxiety about it. I've had a lot of anxiety about it because I don't want to lose the cause of why this church is here. I don't want to lose that, that we're authentic and real and laugh with each other and mess up. And I don't want to get caught up in a building. I want to get caught up in people that God has given a building. And I think it's going to be incredible. And I actually know it's going to be incredible. Because the only other time I have felt this much anxiety for, for what I thought God was doing was when I decided with my wife to plant this church. And the story is very simple and very easy. I lost my job at the church I was at in a very short notice and in kind of a broken way. And I had no idea what God wanted to do with me. And I, at the time, I drove a lot. That's how I thought. So I told my wife that I'm going to go for a drive because I had a lot of anxiety. And she knew what that meant. She said, okay, you know, I'll make dinner and be back. And I said, oh, okay. So I got in my car and I pulled out of my driveway. I'll never forget it. I stood there and in my, sat there in my car and I said, I'm going to drive east. And so I drove east. Two hours later, my wife called me and said, hey, are you coming home for dinner? And I said, no, I'll probably be home later. I'm still driving east. And she said, you're going east, huh? And I said, yeah, I'm just, I'm just driving. She said, okay, I'll put it, you know, I'll put it away and it'll be here for you tonight when you get home. And I said, okay. She called me about 10 o'clock and she said, where are you? And I said, I'm still driving east. <laughs> Same set of clothes, no plan, just a card for gas and this car that I had. I drove all the way to North Dakota over two and a half days, all the way to North Dakota. I got all the way to North Dakota. I ended up up in Fargo, and I realized somewhere in this area that I was, that God had called me. He had called us to be a part of something bigger than him. And so all the way home, I worshiped. I, have, I still have the CD to this day. I still have the same 10 songs. And I worshiped all the way home, and I proclaimed that God is enough. And that he can do this. And seven and a half years later, I'm standing on a stage with you, proclaiming that I guarantee you God can do this. And we can do it without losing our focus if we are willing to burn the ships of any other choices we had. My, this lady back here and I and the friends that were apart planted this church with no other option. Now, I don't mean no other job option. I meant with no other support. If this didn't work, this was our only shot at at what we had dreamed church could be. We would have had to do something completely different because we had convinced ourselves that God had given us this calling. There were no other ships. There was no other escape. And God met us every single step, every single day. This building, God has lots of buildings. What he cares about are the people that we're going to reach with those buildings. And he cares about you and the stuff that you worship that you shouldn't that you should get rid of in your life that keeps you from experiencing him. He cares about 
this world that you keep looking at that offers you nothing but temporary relief. And he wants you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. If it's not here, go somewhere else. But be a part of something that's bigger than yourself that requires work and calluses and communication and well-thought-out leadership and guidance and provision and faith and grace and love and all of these other things. And look ahead and trust him. For he, he's waiting. And I believe he's going to do something incredible with us. Amen? Amen. Hear me. This is my outcry. Keep me alive in this violent turmoil as I walk into darkness. The contention of this world defies me at every turn. The weight of this burden beats me down and clouds my vision. Defend me. Guide me. Burn away these distractions that lead away from your perfect will. this moment, there has never been the slightest doubt that the God who began this marvelous work in me will accomplish it.